into chapter 5. Uh, and so as we're going through Hebrews this time, what we're really focusing on this aspect of there's a number of draw near statements throughout the book. And it's this call for people to draw near and closer into relationship with God and the, an intimate relationship and fellowship with him. Uh, instead of kind of the distant sacrificial system that had been known through the Old Testament and through that Old Covenant uh, and has now been changed through Jesus' death, life, and resurrection on the cross. Uh, last week, we took a look at how uh, Jesus knows us fully, knows our struggles, and, and then is able to sympathize with us uh, out of Hebrews chapter 4, uh, where it's talking about in verses 12 through 13, um, that even our thoughts and our intentions are known to Christ. Uh, but then in verse 14, it says, we do have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, and we're able to hold on to our confession because he's able to sympathize uh, with our weaknesses. Uh, because he's been tempted in every way, as we have been, yet was without sin. And so it's this ability for us to be able to approach the throne of grace with boldness uh, because of our adoption, our identity in Christ, but also because uh, Jesus, who's there, knows what we're going through. Uh, and so today we're going to take a, a little bit more in-depth look at that and the way that we're able to approach God uh, through this grace. But before we get into that, uh, when you imagine... Uh, what Jesus is like, what his personality is like, what, what are some things that come to your mind as you imagine that? What would he be like? Merciful? All right. Yeah, no, it's fine. If, if, when you imagine Jesus, what do you imagine? What comes to your mind? Lover of all. Lover of all. All right. Humble. Okay. What? Okay, focused. Sure. Relentless. Okay. Anything else? Passionate. Good. Outspoken. Gentle. All right, so we have a whole number of different things and facets uh, that are revealed to us when it comes uh, out of Scripture and what Jesus is like. And we're going to be taking another look at a facet uh, that I think that uh, sometimes gets overlooked. Uh, and before we get into that, let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your focus, uh, your passion, your grace, your mercy. Um, all of these things that we look at and see your strength uh, and are grateful for because you're the one that we find help uh, in a present time of need. As we continue on in this passage, Lord, I pray that you help us to see you more, to know you more, and to know your love for us more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, it says, uh, During his earthly life, uh, he offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Uh, so we're just going to read that passage here because there's a number of different things that we can pull out of this. Uh, the first one is talking about, again, in the days uh, of his earthly life. Uh, so living as a human, he goes through a typical day the way that the rest of us go through a typical day. Uh, and I don't know how often we necessarily think about that with Jesus Christ. What's one of the first things that you do when you get up in the morning? Get dressed. Jesus had to get dressed. What else? What? You talk to him? All right. So he talked to his father. Absolutely. He went to the bathroom. 
How often do we think about Jesus going to the bathroom, making breakfast, right? All of those different things Jesus had to do during his earthly life. He was hungry. He was tired. He was stressed. He was tempted. He lived. uh, He died. He went to the bathroom. Uh, And so I think this passage here, even those these four words, during his earthly life, uh, is an invitation for us to draw nearer to him, to to have more of a connection with Jesus than we do if we just kind of keep him as this distant savior. But these very words are meant to draw us into this uh, attention and imagination and a focus on his earthly life. The second thing that it mentions here uh, is that during his life, he would offer up prayers and supplications. And so we can look throughout the Gospels of all kinds of different examples uh, of Jesus' prayers, uh, where he would pray with his disciples, he would go off into times of solitary, and and he would pray by himself. There would be times where he would pray for somebody to be healed. Uh, All these different examples, but the one specifically here in this one verse that we're looking at, it says, prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. This is the facet that I think we miss out on Jesus Christ sometimes. And I think of it, it happens because we look to him as our savior. We look to him as our rock. We look to him as our counselor. We look to the one that is able to help us. Like, like that's all aspects of strength. And so we look to him and in this, we need him. We need his strength, we need his help, we need his compassion, and we need his mercy, we need his grace. And here is this passage saying he was essentially sobbing during prayer. And I think it's easy for us to maybe look past this at times because we usually go to Jesus in our time of need. He invites us to draw near into an intimate relationship and and friendship with him that spans all aspects of life. But if our relationship with God is simply based on our need and our times of desperation and needing his strength, then we miss out on this intimate relationship of friendship that also sees him in the place of his weakness, in the place where he's sobbing and crying out with loud cries and tears to his father, the one that's able to save him from death. And I think it's an absolutely essential thing for us to consider that this was Jesus Christ's experience during his earthly life. Because each one of us has been in that place in our life for various reasons. We've had tears, we've been sobbing, we've been crying out for help. And what this is telling us is Jesus knows exactly what that's like. We get a glimpse of this in Mark chapter 14. This is after uh, the the Last Supper. They're heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, And he says, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Has anybody been there? Like deeply distressed and troubled? Like to the point where it feels like there's an anvil sitting on your heart? And everything feels impossible. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. 
Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And yet he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what I will, not what I will, but you will. And so we kind of read through this passage. And again, if, if we're just reading through it with like the, the mindset, this, this lens of Jesus, the King, in all of his strength, we can read past this passage in kind of a, a clean, sterile sense. Like this is him not wanting to head to the cross. That was simply it. If there's a different way, but this is the way it is. And so for the joy set before him, he heads to the cross. Like we look to that passage. That passage is absolutely true. But if we're looking at this lens of, of, of Christ who isn't deeply passionate, deeply grieved, deeply emotional... We can miss that in this passage. And we just read through it. He's submitted to the Father's will. And he's asking if this might pass. Now if we look into Luke chapter 22 um, in the Synoptic Gospels, we have another uh, picture of this in verse 41. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. How far can you throw a stone? Like, I might be able to hit Matt in the back hallway. I, I didn't think to grab one. I don't know if I have one in here. But, like, that's kind of a realistic throw, right? Like, like if it's a little kind of stone, I, I can't imagine. So, like, not that far away is Jesus from his disciples. So he goes with stone's throw. He kneels down, begins to pray, Father, if you're willing to take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This anguish, this emotion that Jesus is feeling in this moment is so re real that there is this physiological response from this stress that he begins to, to sweat drops of blood. These cries and these tears are within observation of the disciples if they actually don't fall asleep. But he's willing to be real in that moment with the emotions that he's feeling as fully human and yet fully God. Knowing with the joy set before him that the cross needs to be endured for the salvation of all mankind, for reconciliation because of sin and the separation with God and man. That must happen and is willing to do that. But at the same time, he's almost like, this sucks. And so he's praying fervently in anguish. And I can't imagine the stress uh, that would create such an agony. And, and I've been in stressful situations in my life. We, we all have been, and we may not have, have sweat blood in that, but certainly our life circumstances at times can be extremely painful to the point of even feeling hopeless at times. A weight upon us, this feeling of anguish and not knowing how it's going to go. Again, what we see in this, though, is connected back to the verse that we looked at last week, 
where it says that Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he knows our weaknesses and yet is without sin. But that aspect of, of being tempted, that aspect of feeling anguish, of feeling betrayed, Jesus went through all of these things and is able to recognize when we come to him in prayer exactly what it feels like. I mean, you just think about some of our, our different relationships here on earth. And, and like one example that's coming to my mind right now um, is my daughter, uh, 12 years old, uh, absolutely like compassionate for animals. And, and like <laughs> there's been so many circumstances just this summer, like we're out in the backyard um, or she's out in the backyard kind of cleaning up uh, some poop, and we have two Boston Terriers. Uh, and I'm sitting there in the kitchen. We have our windows open. I'm kind of washing dishes, and I just hear her start screaming. And so, like, I rush out, and, and basically what happened is one of our Boston Terriers, like, like kicked up, like, a little flock of baby bunnies and, and had, like, grabbed one. And she's sitting there, like, pushing at the dog, trying to rescue the bunny. The, the bunny gets away, and she's, like, just this, like, Fierce little, get off the bunny kind of thing. And then we're on a walk, like two days later, we're on this walk, and um, she's on her bike, and she sees a hawk take down a squirrel. And, and so she, like, just pedals as fast as she can, like, screaming at this hawk, chases the hawk off, and, and here's this squirrel, like, laying on the ground, paralyzed, <laughs> because the talons, like, snapped the spinal cord. Right? And, and so, like, she's just fraught with emotion here at this point. And maybe some of you are also, as I described what just happened. Right? We have this, this emotion. But here's my daughter, like, championing for this squirrel. And, and then here's this squirrel. And, and here's the difference between her and I. I probably would have sat there and watched the hawk take the squirrel. And that was cool. <laughs> I mean, it's nature. It's part of what's happening, right? The hawk needs to eat, feed its own babies. But my daughter for like the next six hours was just in distraught over this squirrel. And, and she wanted to bring it home, you know, and put it into a box and try to nurse it back to health. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not going to happen. And I bring this up because like her sitting there and she has such this emotional response and care for the squirrel and this compassion for the squirrel and, and, and all of her feelings for that. And I'm sitting over here having shot squirrels in order to eat them myself. And I'm just like, this is the cycle of life in a broken world. Like, let the hawk eat. You know, or let's just go. Or, or if, in other words, like I'm sitting there, I'm telling my wife Angie, like this happened in our backyard and the squirrel was lying there, I, I would have like quickened its pain, you know, out of compassion. But I couldn't do that. Anyways, this, this whole story is meant to come down to this, I don't understand my daughter's emotional response out of compassion for things like this squirrel and the hawk. There's other things where I can clearly, like, you know, something get ran over by a car. Like, I have more compassion for that. But, but I didn't have any sympathy. I couldn't sympathize with her in her feeling because I just can't understand this, this huge emotional response that takes her six hours to get over this squirrel. And I'm just kind of like, all right, let's move on. 
I couldn't do that. Sometimes I think in our relationship with God, we look at him that way. That he doesn't know, he doesn't understand, he can't sympathize. Because we've had that experience within human relationships where we're feeling something or we're hurt or we're depressed or we're angry or whatever it might be and other people don't understand why we feel that way. That's the experience that we have with humanity that is not the experience that we have with Jesus Christ. Because he's been through it. He knows what it feels like. And then as we see in chapter 4, he knows our every thought and intent. Which means a couple of different things. We talked about last week. He knows when our thoughts aren't for him. He knows when our thoughts are for temptation. And even then, there's grace and mercy as he desires that relationship and for us to come to him. But in this, it also means he knows how we're hurting how we're feeling, and he knows why. And because of that, he's able to sympathize with us, and he calls us to draw close boldly. Which means to come to him however we are. Because he already knows where we're at. Like I think sometimes we come to our prayers and, and we, for whatever reason, we've, we've gotten into this aspect, this mindset of prayer. Appropriate prayer, a formal prayer. That we have to be in the right mindset, the right heart attitude in order to, to go to God. That we have to calm down before we can pray. And then when we come, it's almost like we, we bury down kind of exactly how we're feeling so that we have the right prayer. Like I'm really angry over here. And then what my actual prayer is is, God, would you help me in this situation to have wisdom? All along, like, there's this, like, seething happening inside. Why don't we just go, God, I'm angry. I need help in this situation. And actually process, he knows that's there anyways. All we're doing by tampening that down in our prayers to him is almost denying to ourselves where we're at when he knows all along. And by coming into this aspect and this type of prayer with him, it's this true openness, this true willingness, this full submission to God saying, I'm coming exactly as I am and this is what I need help with. Instead of like, all right, let me package that up, set it aside. God, I could really use help in a situation. I think sometimes in our life, we look at emotions and the number of different emotions that we have. and We have all kinds of choices on how we react to our different emotions. Uh, first of all, we don't want them to rule our lives, which is absolutely true. You know, if we're feeling angry, we don't want to make all of our choices out of that anger or sadness. And so we don't want them to rule our lives. Uh, and so sometimes we want to, like, tampen those down. Uh, but however, we also do not want to ignore the emotions that God has given to us, and he's given them to us because they're a reflection of him. Remember in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, when God is hanging out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they say, let us make man in our image. And so he forms man out of the dust and blows breath into him in the image 
of God? Where do you think these emotions came from? They came from Him. The reflection of God. The reflection of Jesus Christ. I've got a slide to put up here of all the different emotions of God. And we have anger in Psalm chapter 11, Deuteronomy and Romans, compassion in Psalms and Judges, grief in Genesis, love, hate, jealousy, joy. We all experience these things. In different ways, in different mannerisms. And, and even within this, there's, you know, out of grief, there's different compartments. In there could be shame, guilt. Now, God isn't experiencing shame and guilt. But what happens is, these are given to us. These are the attributes of God's emotions revealed by the Holy Spirit through Scripture. Before the fall. Then Adam and Eve sin against God, become broken. Sin enters into the world. Distortion and brokenness enters into the world. That's where then we get shame. That's where we get guilt. That's where we get feelings of condemnation. That's where we get all of these emotions that have been twisted and distorted into this negative aspect. But these emotions, the one that we are reflecting from God, are part of His design in our life. Part of tools that were meant to be used. I was reading a book once, I think it's called Untangled. It's talking about emotions, and it really, I like this illustration, it likens uh, emotions to the lights on the dashboard of our car. And so like you're driving along and the check engine light comes on. Right there's an emotion, right? (laughs) Like, oh no, more money, what's wrong, you know, kind of thing. But, But we still don't know what the exact issue is. We just know there's a light on, and it means that, that we need to put attention to something. And, and then as we dig into it, we might realize, oh, the oil's low, and here's a simple fix. Or we go and get one of those computers, and you plug it in, and it puts out, like, here's what needs to happen. Maybe it's just a checkup built into the car that needs to be cleared out. But, but that light there is meant to say, hey, something needs attention. It's the same thing for emotions in our life. If we're feeling angry... Why are we feeling angry? It's a tool that God has designed into us in order to say something needs attention. Why are you angry? Why are you sad? Why are you happy? Why are you joyful? And then as we examine our lives and look into the root causes of those things, then we can bring them to him and through that find help in the areas that that actually need that help. For instance, if we're working at a job, and, and we're in this job with a coworker, uh, and this coworker is is just kind of slacking off, not really doing their work. Has anybody been in that position at all? How did you feel in that position? Any anger, frustration, right? Now, why are you feeling that way? Now there's a number of different things that could happen, right? And and so if we just sit there and say, well, I'm angry because they're not doing their job, and our prayer then becomes this, okay, Lord, I'm going to tamp down this anger. Lord, in in my job, as I'm working with this person, um, help me to have compassion for them. Is that a bad prayer? 
No, it's not a bad prayer. Uh, it's a helpful prayer. Um, Lord, help me to, to focus on my job. Is that a bad prayer? No, it's not. A, so we can have these prayers that, that come out of it that, that are good and are helpful. But if we come into this situation, God, I am angry that this person is not doing their fair share. Why am I angry? Their fair share. Okay, so now it comes down to, I feel like it's not fair. It's not fair that they're able to kind of just lackadaisically go through the day. It's not fair that I have to work so hard. Well, why do I work hard? Well, I want to do it for integrity and to do all things unto the Lord. Okay. So what is this anger thing now? And we're able to work through these prayers coming down into the root of it. Why are we angry at this person? And it might come down to a sense of, well, it doesn't feel fair. Okay, now this is where I need growth in my life. These other prayers would have been helpful, right? But if we actually don't bring our emotion into it, which is that dashboard light, and say, God, what's going on underneath the hood? What do I need to work on? What am I trying to see here? What's the cause of this? We can pray for compassion for that person. We can pray uh, for us to be able to do a better job. Both good things, but we might be missing out on the thing that God actually wants to work on in our own heart, in that sense of fairness. And does it really matter what's fair if we're working unto him? And so we're allowing distraction to creep in, and we're allowing the enemy to bring something in from comparison that then steals our joy over working unto the Lord. And so this is what can happen as we bring our emotions into our prayers. We see this even in the example of Jesus' prayer. Continue on in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. During his earthly life, offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. You notice that there? What do you think of a reverent prayer? Like oftentimes when we think of a reverent prayer, it's like this, this holy, reverent God. I'm going to be in this serene place in calmness and reverence for who God is. You know? It's almost like going to a funeral or a wedding. Right? We, we walk in and, and here's this solemn ceremony kind of taking place. And so out of reference for the people that have either died or reverence for the people that are getting married. And I bring both examples in because, again, our prayers can be really sad and painful or they can be joyful. But, but out of reverence for that situation, we've kind of trained ourselves to be like, this needs to be calm. This needs to be appropriate. And yet this passage is saying Jesus' loud cries and tears and sweating blood was heard because of his reverence. I think it's heard because of his openness. Heard because of his relationship, because of his intimacy. Because he knew that he was talking to his father and could talk to him about anything. Like, just even imagine what this prayer is about. 
You have Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit existing from eternity past to eternity forward. That They're sitting there in the Garden of Eden together. Let us make man in our image. Adam and Eve come into the world. They commit the sin, the separation of God and mankind happens. And then here's this prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to come into the world in order to live a perfect life and offer up his life as a sacrifice, painfully in order to atone for these sins, to purchase back this relationship. This is the plan. Jesus was in on the plan the whole time. And he comes to this point, and his prayer is, Father, if this cup can pass from me. Like, even imagine asking that. It's like, planning for something with your spouse and all right this is what we're doing this is the plan and you get to the very moment of the plan and you're like you mind if we change the plan like, like you almost don't ask that sometimes but Jesus in his sense of intimacy with the father and in his reverence was absolutely willing and it was absolutely appropriate for him in that moment to pray if this cup may pass please. But if not, your will be done. So he continues on in verse 7. He's heard because of his reverence, even though he's asking that the cup may pass, even with loud cries and tears. Verse 8, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He learned obedience through the suffering of the cross. It was this, this sense of not my will, but, but what needs to happen. What needs to happen for the sake of all humanity. What needs to happen for a given situation. This sense of, this hurts deeply. And yet I trust you, Lord. I'm willing to walk through this regardless of how it feels. Because I trust you to use this for the good of all humanity. You may call us to do similar things in our lives as we go through difficult circumstances. Maybe it's a circumstance out of our control or maybe it's somebody doing something to us that can be extremely painful and we can be crying out to God with tears and loud cries and yet the example that we have from Jesus is this ask of please spare me from this pain. Please bring healing into this situation. Bring healing into this relationship. Bring, bring a miracle into this and yet I trust you to walk with me through it regardless of the outcome. It is this trust and this sense of intimacy. Jesus, again, knew that he had to face the cross, and as he was praying, he was acknowledging that human flesh struggle within himself. And yet, despite that, was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what I will, what, but what you will is this full submission to God the Father. This example of Jesus Christ shows us that our prayers can be raw, emotional, painful, messy, and real. And that if we're able to be honest in our prayers, we're actually acknowledging where we are in our relationship with God. He already knows the benefit is for us instead of trying to package it up and, and 
put it off to the side in order to come with this appropriateness. It's just acknowledging God already knows all of the turmoil, all of the mess, all of the pain, all of the frustration. This is where I need help, God. This is where I need you to carry me. This is where I need you to work. And as we do so, we're then better able to estimate our our desires in line with the will of God. Because again, like that example of our coworker, a lot of times we can take our emotion and then we can come up with a solution within our own mind that says, give me grace for them or help me just focus on my job. But if we're actually honest with ourselves, it opens up a whole new world where God can say, I want to work on this aspect of your life where you're comparing yourself to others. This is where I want you to grow in the midst of this circumstance. By being honest about our emotions to ourselves, because again, God already knows, we're able to, again, better determine if our will is in line with God's will and if we're truly submitted to it despite how we feel. Now that can be really difficult. Where God is calling us to do something. He's calling us to act in a certain way. He's calling us to go through a difficult circumstance that can be very hard, difficult, and painful to be submitted to saying, okay, God, your will in this. I'm willing to walk through whatever desert this is. And yet, Jesus himself was there. He's not asking us to do something that he himself has not done and has set the example for. He knows that deep struggle between wanting to obey God, but then also wanting to protect ourselves from harm, discomfort, shame. He knows that that wrestling back and forth of of self-protection and full submission. And again, this is where he says that we're able to come to find help in every time and every need. Again, the verse in Hebrews chapter 4, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. God already knows where we're at. He's just asking us to be honest with ourselves. To be honest with him is that sign of full submission of recognizing, yep, this is where I am. God, this is where I need you to work. Instead of coming up with little ways for us to be able to pray in different areas to distract ourselves or to ignore the thing that we actually need to work on. This honesty with our emotions, as Jesus was honest with his, helps us to acknowledge where we actually are, which then allows us to be fully ready for an absolute transformation in whatever God has for us to work on. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. I thank you, Father, for this passage. Uh, One of these passages where we look at and we see an entirely different facet of who Jesus was, of who you are. That you can utterly relate to our deepest pains. That you know those deep internal struggles that we have over wanting to submit to your will and then dealing with temptation, dealing with uh, betrayal, dealing with deep hurts and pain. Lord, we pray and we ask for miracles in these situations, for healings to happen, Lord, for physical healings to happen, for emotional healings to happen. We pray for relationships to be healed and to be restored, Lord. 
We ask for those miracles, and we continue to pray for them with loud cries and, and desperation when the time calls for it. And Lord, we also trust that because you've been there before us, you are there to walk through it with us, regardless of how this goes forward and how others respond. We thank you that we can trust you fully in this and know that you are with us, that all you do is ask us to draw near. And Lord, I pray that you help us to have the boldness to draw near as we really are and not attempting to wear a mask of everything's okay before the one who is sharper than a two-edged sword that cleaves down to bone and marrow, that knows the very difference between mind and soul and the intentions of our hearts. Help us to be real with you and ourselves that we might fully be submitted and transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.